good morning, Bentry Church. I get to take my mask off and let my beard free. I let my beard grow while you guys were gone. So it's good to see you guys here. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, my name is Paul Trimble. Yeah, I, God has blessed us. My question is, where have you guys been? I've been all along here for 11 weeks. Uh, just me and the camera. Just kidding. Welcome. I'm so excited that you guys are here. I've just been giddy about this. Thanks for taking the risk and coming seriously. Uh, and for all of you watching online with us right now, we love you. We miss you. We're glad that you're joining us online uh, together in one place in time, at least if we can't be together all in one place. In the last 11 weeks and even getting ready for this week with all of the restrictions like chairs and masks and all that, I've kind of felt sorry for myself. I don't know about you. And sorry for our church that we're not getting to meet and have all the blessings we normally have. We have such a wonderful full band and stuff. You guys did great and missing stuff, but all the masks and missing coffee and all that kind of stuff, our children's ministry or youth. But then God brought back some memories of places I've been to in my years of ministry. I've had the honor of worshiping in places and in countries around the world where it's quite literally dangerous to worship God and to open or even to own a Bible. People taking risk, I remember, that if they had been caught listening to me share from Scripture, they would have gone to jail for years just listening to me. And in other places, I've had the honor to sit in cramped spaces where literally the church building is made out of trash, right? And people huddled on dirt floors in hot, humid conditions where they walked miles to get to that place, right? And when I had preached for an hour and a half and I thought I was done, they said, is that all you got? You know, they were wanting more. We have such a great church and a wonderful worship leaders and wonderful band and children and guest services. But man, I love all that stuff. But sometimes what I lose track of is Sunday worship gatherings are not really about us. It's just not. It's not entertainment. Sunday, the Lord's Day, we come to worship Jesus, the one who saved our souls. So if we have to modify just a little bit to get together, that ain't no big deal to me. And I hope it's not to you because it's about Jesus. Amen. Soon we'll get to add chairs. We'll add services and get rid of these masks and We'll give hugs, and I'm a hugger. I don't know if you are. Just don't do it today, right? We'll get to hang out and all that stuff, but really, although this is different for us, it's no big deal. And for you guys at home, we'll keep this video stuff going until everyone can come back safely, uh, but we want you to know that we love you and miss you. We just do. Well, let's get our Bibles out, uh, and we're going to look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Chapter 4, show me your Bibles, show me your Bibles, let's see those things. I have been waiting for that. That's a beautiful sight right there, that's a beautiful sight. Today we continue our series titled Genesis, Volume 2, and uh, as we get ready for this, it's very interesting that God has us studying these particular verses as we carefully go verse by verse through Scripture. We like to say here that we go deep to grow deep. Meaning 
like we carefully dig deep into the word of God to find the truth about who God is and what he is teaching about his, himself. And in discovering that study, that deep truth, God uses that truth to grow and to shape us into everything that God wants us to be. And not to scare you or nothing, but what we believe as Christians, as the church, is that God himself, in the third person of the Trinity, is here in this place right now and where you are, and he's going to reveal some deep truths today. Amen? Let's start out with this story. Listen close as I read this, then we'll come back and work our way through verse by verse. It starts off talking about Adam and his wife, Eve. They've just been removed from the garden. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then the man was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Bless the reading of God's word. Let's ask for God's blessing now. Would you bow your head with me? Mm. As we just pray and seek God together. Father, Heavenly Father, We, your children, have just come before you now to hear from your Holy Spirit. We open your words of Scripture. Thank you for that word that we just read. Teach us what we do not know. Show us what we do not see. Help us to hear the words uh, in a new and deeper way. And God, complete us into that person you were calling us to be as individual Christians. But God, our prayer too is that you would just grow this body, this group of Christians into the church you want it to be. Help us to impact the world with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Grow us into spiritual maturity, God. Well, it is in the great and awesome name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We all prayed and said, amen, amen. I didn't hear you guys online. I'm just kidding you. I can't hear you guys online. Um, And I'm glad you can hear. The first service, we couldn't get the sound working online, so we've got it working now. We talked last week, we talked last week about what it meant now for the world to have fallen into sin, right? How we live here. Every area was touched by original sin. Every area was messed up. That doctrinal idea of total depravity or what some call radical corruption Not that everything we do is evil, but that every part of our being, our flesh, and our world has been tainted by the fall of mankind into sin. But Adam and Eve, as they are removed from the garden of God in Eden, have placed their faith in God and his promises back in chapter 3, verse 15, that one day, One day, there would be uh, come from their descendants an an heir that would crush evil 
and bring redemption. We believe that's Jesus, amen? By placing their faith in the promise of God, they have placed their faith in God. You see how that works? At the first couple, uh, they have established their relationship with God, but now they are no longer with God in the garden. They are in this sin-fallen, corrupt world, and we are not told if things look different for them or if it all looks the same, but we're about to see where relationships change quickly. And certainly, Adam, or in the Hebrew, Adam, and his wife Eve, don't have all the scripture we now have in place. They don't know the story of the Bible and all that it does to flesh out that promise. It's the story of the promise of our redemption. That's what it is. They are waiting on the full measure, like us, of what it means to be back in the presence of God physically as well as spiritually, or what we call heaven, or glorification, without the sinful lust, amen? Without sin, the weight of sin. So let's work our way through this passage, get those Bibles out, let's look at verse 1, chapter 4, here it is. The man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, or in the Hebrew, it's called Cain. Cain, I love saying the Hebrew. It sounds like we know something, doesn't it? Cain and Adam. This means what you think it means, this scripture does. But understand, this is not the first time they had been physically intimate with each other. They had been intimate on the first day of her creation. He's writing poetry when he sees her, right? Before they had sinned, they were intimate. I say this because there is a false theology that has been taught over the years in some churches that says intimacy, sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship is a result of sin. That is completely bogus, by the way. In fact, that physical intimacy is central to this uh, love of the man and the woman, and God affirms that. Look at Mark 10, chapter 10, verse 6. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, we could literally preach a series, and we have series on this, We could preach right here and now on marriage and family and God's design. We have other things, though, to talk about. But just let me spend just a couple of minutes on this before we get into the body of the text. Because the two shall become one. Yes, that is a physical relationship, but it also represents something, something so much deeply spiritual in that the two become one. This is why that sexual intimacy cannot be faked. When people say, oh, I didn't mean it, it was just for fun. No, it always means something, something. Why? Uh, it's why so many are broken by indulging in that sin the way the world promises, oh, it'll be fun. You don't have to be married. Just go for it. But that is simply not true, is it? And why Jesus puts us, uh, gives us such a strong statement here, because outside of the marriage relationship, physical intimacy does deep and lasting and horrible damage to people and relationships. Is there forgiveness in it? Yes, amen. But that's why Jesus says it's a man and a woman to become one. It's not three 
It's not four. It's not two men. It's not two women. It is a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And it's a gift designed to protect us. Now, we're not going to dwell here, but what what I want you to understand, that's not hate to say that. It's love. It's Jesus saying this, and if you think Jesus is somehow hateful or he didn't really understand what right and wrong would be, we've got a different problem then. You see what I'm saying? You get what I mean, right? Like if you think that Jesus just doesn't get it, but somehow you've been able to figure out something that the all-powerful, all-knowing God hasn't, dude, I just can't agree with you on that. And not because I hate you, like, no, exactly the opposite, because I love you. Because Jesus confirms this, and Jesus loves you, and he loves me too. He does. He does give us this truth, doesn't he? This is Jesus. Okay, so the couple is intimate, and she conceives a child, a boy. Now remember what we are uh, expecting, that generation that would save them, they would deliver Adam and Eve from their sin, right? They're expecting this promise from God. Don't you think they would have been wondering, is this the child? And by the way, Satan is in the background going, is this the child? Like he's going, is this my doom? And remember back in chapter three, God had promised that the woman would have this descendant that someday that Satan would also have a descendant. Now, uh, I want you to see, that doesn't mean Satan has a physical descendant, but there would be people that would have faith in God, and those would be the descendants of God, the descendants through Adam and Eve, and then there would be people that said, I don't want faith in God, I want just faith in me. Thank you very much. And those would be the descendants of Satan, spiritual descendants, not physical. Eve speaks, though. Look at the second half of verse one. Here's Eve. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She's excited. She's going, this could be it. This could be it, right? Our redemption. She's praising God for this life. This is like Willy Wonka. You remember? She thinks she's just found the golden ticket back to God. She's thinking back to that promise made by God back in chapter three. By the way, in the church family here, we have a few babies on the way. I always love that. We're like the fertile church, right? I love that. Uh, I love babies. I love ladies having babies. I love adoption. We got so many being adopted. Praise God. That is just, that's a beautiful gift. I want you to know every life is a precious gift from God. Every time a baby comes, planned or unplanned, children are a gift from God. We are so excited and thankful for God's gift. For you ladies that are expecting and those babies being adopted, we love that. Eve thanks God and glorifies him. Then look in verse 2. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, his name is pronounced Abul. So, Cain and Abul. She has this other baby boy. She names him Abul. Scripture simply doesn't tell us the age difference between the two as they're born to Eve. I've always thought, well, they're separated for a few years. It just doesn't say that. The reason I mention this is Jewish tradition 
And many theologians teach that Cain and Abel are, check this out, twins. It doesn't say specifically, but certainly they could be based on the wording, and I'm talking the original Hebrew. There is no time explained between the two, and it's why they're put together. Like Adam is in the waiting room, and he hears, hey, it's a baby boy, a doctor. No, it didn't happen that way, did it? Because a baby had never been born before. They had never seen a birth because this is the first one. During the entire pregnancy, don't you think they have just had to be watching her tummy like, oh my goodness, God, how big is this thing going to get? Adam's going, how's that getting out of there, right? So Cain is born, then a bull. Now, the reason I even bring this up about the prophecy, God tells the man and the woman, and Satan, really, back in chapter 3, we've been talking about, and all about their descendants, how they would be at war. The question we have to be asking is, which descendants are these two boys? Are they both good? Are they both followers of God? Or are they both bad or neither one, right? Does that make sense? That's the question we've got to be asking. Look at the second half of verse 2. The narrative now jumps ahead to when they are adults. It uh, doesn't say anything about their childhood or their growing up. These are men, right? It doesn't even talk about any of their growing up. So look at this, verse 2, second half. Now a bull became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. You see that? Tells their job. Notice that Cain is born first, but it lists a bull's profession first. Isn't that interesting? A bull is a shepherd, and Cain is mentioned separate, and he has become a farmer. Both professions, those are respectable in God's sight. In fact, most in those early days, even up to now, do both of those together. Do a little ranching, little farming. But then look at verse 3. The narrative uh, starts to give us, the narrative of Genesis is going to start to reveal something very deep and troubling. We're going to examine over two weeks here. Look at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And a bull also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock, check this out, and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for a bull and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Now, if you read over that story too fast, or you grew up as a Christian reading that story, you might miss the, what's really going on. So watch close. God's command is not written for us here, but we can assume there is a command. How can we know that from that? Because clearly both men have received some kind of instruction from God to bring an offering of worship to God at a specific time. Otherwise, how would they even know that they were supposed to bring an offering or what time? You, you see what I'm saying? So the day comes for the, the two to present their offering to God, but both men present their offering to God from what they have produced. Cain, Listed first, and then Abul, but God rejected Cain's offering and rejects Cain from the produce of the ground, but he accepts 
Abel's or Abul's offering. But notice the words used here. Cain presented some of the land's produce. Notice the word some. Underline that. And the possessive words, land's produce, some of the land's produce. Now, we don't know for sure about this, but what it appears to me is that Cain simply went out and found something that was growing, something the land produced on its own, but he had personally not planted it, had not cultivated, he had not worked for it from the sweat of his brow. In other words, he offered to God something that cost him nothing. But what do we know for sure? What we do know for sure is Cain doesn't offer first fruits. It's not the first that grew. He simply gives God, quote, some of the produce of the land. That also means that Cain kept the first offering, the first produce for himself that he had worked for. He goes, this is mine. Now let's contrast that with a bull's offering to God. Here it is. And a bull also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. This is different. The firstborn is presented. Now, I don't want us to miss the details. A bull gives not only the firstborn, but he also gives the very best. How do we know that? Because the word fat portions, that's what that means. He gives the first, gives the best. Now, if you have ever worked with animals or raising kids around animals, animals that you're raising for food, you always tell the kids, hey, don't get too attached to the animals. Why? Because we are going to eat them later. It's like, Dad, why did you name that cow hamburger? I'll tell you later, son. Right? A bull cares for this animal. I mean, you can kind of see him even think, maybe he even delivered the animal. He raises it, and whether or not he wants to eat the animal or uh, he's somehow attached to it emotionally, he gives this offering, this animal. He cuts its throat. He kills the animal, gives it to God. Now, notice this isn't an offering to cover their sin. This is just an offering God had instructed them to make, an act of worship to God. The sacrificial system that God would put in place for his people would come much later during the time of Moses when he gives the law. Now, some of you might be asking, what's the difference between the two offerings of the brothers? God gets what he wants, right? God still gets his offering. Isn't that the important part? And the answer is a resounding no, it's not. By the way, if you're not clear, God is not poor. He doesn't need our offering. He's not like going, hey, I'm not sure how I can make the rent on the earth this year. That's, that's a key component of worship, giving our first and best. Why? Because the issue of worship to God and offering of worship to him is really about a heart issue. He doesn't need our stuff. And we're about to see it comes to a head and reveal itself. Here's what I know. What we bring to God in our offering of worship reveals the condition of our heart. What we bring to God in worship reveals the condition of our heart. Because we can say one thing, but it is what you actually do that reveals what you truly believe, right? Like, this isn't just a money thing or a possession thing. 
Like, do you come to worship or tune in like you guys online? As long as you feel like it and as long as there's no camping trip and as long as there's not something better to do and as long as it's not like 70 degrees out or, or worship God with the rest of the church body, uh, do you make it a top priority? Like this is about God, not about me. Do you offer some worship, like whatever you can find, like Kyan, or do you offer the very first and the very best to God? Because look, to give the first offering of, of either the animal or the produce is an act of faith. One type of animal or plant is not better than the other, but the firstborn animal or the first produce produced, you can use it or you can give it to God. Why? Because it's not yours anymore if you give it to God first. It's gone. You have offered your gift to God in faith, and although you've given up your first resources and the best in Abel's case, or Abul, you are trusting that God will take care of you. Why? Because it's gone now. You've given it away. That takes faith, doesn't it? So why is this such a big thing to God between these two brothers? Why even record this story for us? Why does God accept Abul's offering but reject Cain's offering? Because a bull's offering is an act of faith in God. It's an act of faith in God. And Kyan's isn't. We'll unpack his stuff next week. A bull physically demonstrates his faith in God's provision for him. This is huge. And because of this demonstration, he is approved by God, righteous before him. Now, how do we know that? Oh, because we study scripture, right? Look at this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse four, the first half of the verse says this, by faith, a bull offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Do you see how those two things went together? Faith in God is the difference between the two brothers and their offerings of worship simply reveal their, their heart. It's a bull's faith we look to even now to copy as our own. And we know that faith itself is a gift of God to us, to his people. God gives us the faith. It is, isn't it interesting that a demonstration of faith thousands of years ago, still rings like a bell throughout history. It's God saying, do this. Now, I don't want you to miss what we're going to see here. A bull is the descendant of Adam and Eve. He is righteous before God. That's what it says right here in Hebrews, right? Now, why was a bull's sacrifice accepted? Well, faith, yes, and the Bible describes him as a righteous man. That does not mean that he was without sin. None of God's people are without sin except Christ Jesus. But what it means is that faith, his faith in God, God overlooks a bull's sin until one day God would pay the sins himself by laying it on the back of his son. Jesus, the crucified one the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. Faith, you see, a bull's offering was accepted by God, not just because it was an animal, 
Not just because it was the very best of what he had. Not just because it was the firstborn. Not just because that he had a heart for God. But that his faith demonstrated obedience by trusting in God and how he actually lived his life. What we see between the two brothers and their offering of worship to God is that a bull hears the words of God and responds in full obedience and carries out the instruction of God to a T. And apparently, Cain doesn't. He doesn't obey God's command, and next week we'll see how Cain's offering reveals something, something much darker about his soul and his heart. Oh, there's so much for Christians today, right now. I mean, I think most Christians just kind of offer God a little bit of their life, don't you? Like what they can find along the side, like, well, here's something I found. I'm going to give it to you. But if that's you, listen to me, there's so much more God wants for you. There's so much more. What I'm saying is like there's a completely different person God is calling you to be. I promise you. Now, don't hear me wrong. What I'm not saying is that you have to get everything in your life cleaned up and your life on track before you lean into God and before he can use you. No. We are all messed up. We're just forgiven. Even though saved by Christ, we're messed up. We still wrestle with temptation and sin. But Jesus is slowly remaking us by the power of his Holy Spirit, giving us a new mind, a new way to think, a new heart, a new way to feel. Are your feelings off? This is what it's talking about. And the way to do that is obedience and faith following Jesus. Do you want to become all that God has for you? To become that person he designed you to be? Jesus tells this, us this in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Whew. Not just to hear the word, but to keep the word and to do the word. Can I just really, really be honest with you? Just transparent for a moment. The reason most of you don't grow into maturity in your faith is you simply don't keep what God has said to do. You just don't do what is written in scripture. And then you act surprised. I mean, like, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm not. I, I, I love you. I don't know many guys that'll tell you this, but I got to tell you, some of you drive me absolutely crazy because you don't follow Jesus, but you say you do. You see, Cain just kind of did the same thing, just kind of halfway followed God's instruction, just kind of brought, you go, hey, here's something I got. Uh, is that good enough? No. Things have been bad in that chapter three, right? Adam and Eve disobeying God, but they've been restored. They believe on God, but all the world has fallen into sin, right? But you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Because next week it goes really bad. I hate to leave you hanging. Actually, I love to. It's actually one of my favorite things. But I want you to read ahead. Go ahead and pull the Bible out and read ahead. This whole idea of faith, of a bull demonstrating, is not just some warm feeling that we get, but putting our faith into action. 
really trusting that God is going to come through, but taking action on that faith, living what we believe, right? But that can be and is so scary. Um, because by definition, taking a step of faith, following Jesus, is taking a step of something he's calling us to do without seeing the end result before we take the step. That's what faith is all about. Let me close with this quick story about faith being demonstrated. You, you see, it's not just Bible characters. It's brothers and sisters in faith that hear from God and say, oh, that's my purpose. Here's my ministry. This is what I'm supposed to do. Like literally trusting in faith by taking action on what God is calling them to do. George grew up in a wealthy home. His, his daddy was an attorney, had a lot of money, but the kid was full of pride growing up. He was the son of a wealthy lawyer, but his youth was just marked by partying and women, women and heavy drinking, gambling like crazy. In fact, he lost his money from that so much that he began to steal even though his family was wealthy. His life was just completely out of control. But then his father, who was a Christian, prayed for him. He said, hey, George, would you come to a prayer meeting with me at church? So he did. And George hears the gospel and puts his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. From that moment on, he became different. He got rid of his library of over 300 books, his most prized possession. He kept one book, and he made it the center of his life, the Bible. And every day he would study it, listening for God's word, and he would pray, seeking God earnestly. He began to seek God every day. He got married during this time, and together they sought what direction they would go. They were poor because he was an evangelist. But together God laid on their heart this huge number of children they saw just wandering around the streets in their city. Orphans. These kids were totally exploited, listen to me, in every way and young girls especially. So they said, well, let's just start by taking these young girls in as many as we can. So they fit 30 of them in their tiny house. George was an, you know, an evangelist that doesn't make much money going from church to church and preaching. They were feeding all these young girls, trying to house them one night while George was seeking God what to do on this. And God simply said, open your mouth, George. Open it wide and I will fill it. But you have to open it. From that moment on, George and his wife began to operate on faith. He felt strongly that they were not to depend asking for money, but simply pray until people brought them resources. And as you can imagine, life was filled with tons of prayer and tons of faith. There's story after story, you should read this later on, about them trusting and right at the last moment when a need was going to go unmet, somebody would knock on the door, and it would be there. There's stories of kids sitting down for dinner, one in particular that I remember reading, where it's more than 100 kids. They don't have dinner at the orphanage. There's just nothing there. And someone knocks on the door, and they said, I, uh, I just feel like I need to bring all this food to you, so here it is. And they were taken care of. And the orphanage grew over time. Lots and lots of kids. So did the story of God's provision, though. George was able to travel all over the world telling of God's faithfulness to them in the midst of carrying out their faith. He was invited to speak in capitals all over the world, including our own White House. The president brought him in. 
Now, of course, the world never really understood this man's kind of wackiness. Like, why would you love people that can't pay you back? But he told the story of Jesus over and over. The orphanage would become known as Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. Over the years, George and his staff cared for, check this out, check this out, 10,024 orphans in his 92 years. He provided love, care, food, clothing. He also established, check it out, 117 Christian schools to give a Christian education, which educated 120,000 students in his lifetime, as well as he was one of the first people to massively fund missions in China. But what I want you to know about this amazing man and the fruit that was produced by God through George and his wife's life was not because they were smart. It's not because they were connected well politically. It's not that they had a pile of cash. They were poor. He had none of that. But what he did have is faith in God's plan. And he acted on the faith and he prayed and sought God every day. And they gave up their wealth and they gave up all of their life's plans to serve Jesus instead. When I hear faith like George Mueller, someone who has sold their life out to God to serve for 92 years, died in 1898. I ask God, what could happen if I sold my life out like that? But then I ask, well, what if our little church, all of us, sold our life out like that? What could, what could happen? Do you ask God that kind of stuff? Maybe you can now. Would you bow your head and pray with me? God, our prayer is that you would just show us who you are and that you would just show us who you created us to be as we get to know who you are. Father, we long to have faith like a bull, like Moses, like Paul, like John, and like George Mueller. But God, I, I don't have that faith. Would you show us how to grow in our faith and put our trust in taking that next step in our life? God, step by step, we ask that you lead us, that you grow us as individuals and as a family, as a church. God, we we don't want the glory for Bentry, but we want to have the glory for you. We want to see lives changed in northern Colorado because you're moving through us. We follow you in faith. We ask all of this in the great name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.